I want to finish up with uh, Romans 12 today. <clears throat> I had come across this chapter and felt it was such a fatherly on Paul's part. Um, he's just giving this um, all-encompassing um, talk to everyone to come back to the center and focus on what is truly kingdom. And he begins this chapter with, um, I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be sacred, living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all that God delights. And that ends up being a great definition of holiness when you're living in what delights the Lord. And that when you're living in that, you should feel his pleasure. You should feel he's delighted with that. And um, so that, that is that he, he pulls this down and uh, he admonishes us, stop acting like the world. Don't let them set your culture. And then the rest of the chapter begins, he describes and gives an overview of what the kingdom looks like for us, how we're to relate to each other, the atmosphere that's to be in the kingdom, the atmosphere that's to be between and among believers, that when we come together and we function in whatever way, practical ways, spiritual ways, meetings or dinners or fun things, that there should be an atmosphere of, of true love, not, you know, any, any cautions. In verse 9, no fake, no masks, like don't act like it. Don't be plastic about your joy. It's very important that it is genuine, that it's heartfelt, that it really comes out of, of living in union with Jesus. And I ended it at verse 12, and I want to pick this up. He goes on to say, Take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them and eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. So there's, um, he's touching on something, the power of hospitality. It's actually very powerful, and uh, we can think of a lot of ways to try to win the world, the world's hungry for this. They're hungry to be able to walk into some place that they feel welcome, they feel at ease. And honestly, I think it's the biggest attraction to the bar scene and what goes on there. It, they, they feel safe there. They feel unjudged there. They feel there's a, a camaraderie once they start meeting their friends there. Um, the old uh, sitcom Cheers, was it not, is that correct? It was about that. And they had, they had touched on something. I mean, why do we foolishly sit in our living rooms and watch those? I didn't watch a lot of it, but I did watch it, you know. Because we also were intrigued by the camaraderie and all the different personalities and all the things that were there and that sense of belonging. I mean, how much activity was in that show ever? One, pretty much one scene, right? <laughs> where they were, they all gathered, where they, where they found their friends. And, and, and Paul is saying, let your home be that. Let your home be a place where people feel welcome and comfortable to walk in and sit down at your table. And uh, I, I really um, love my wife's family for having this that I, I did not have that in my family I had the opposite like you know we were like 
fearful of someone coming. I don't know, it was weird. We did have people into our homes, but it just was different. Here, it didn't have to be a special occasion. You could come in, sit down at Margie's table, and have coffee, and, what, and it didn't matter when you came. There was never a panic like, <gasps> somebody came to visit. You know, I experienced some of that in my, in my life. And here, it was like, oh, it's the neighbor. Oh, it's a cousin. Oh, it's, you know. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never knew there were so many relatives. I'm still meeting them after all these years. But what I do not want to laugh about is how sincere, sincere their fellowship and their, that sense. And the whole family, extended family, for the most part, had that as well. There was a welcoming. Do you know of all the things you can do in this life? That, that's huge if people feel comfortable to come in and visit you. It, it's a big deal, especially when we're trying to, we sit down and go, how are we going to win the world? Well, it starts here. It's, it's this simple. They're, they're hungry. They're, they're always you know, willing to, wanting to come to a place where they can just pull up a chair and, 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 feel, and feel welcomed. And I looked for that at times in my young life as well. Before I, I really got involved with Phyllis, before I met her, and there was a season when I was an adult, it's one of the worst times of my life. I was extremely depressed, and a lot of it had to do with, where do I fit? I don't belong anywhere. My friends were all getting married and, and moving on with their lives, and I was moving into my 20s and 21, 22, you know, like, um, and I was still going after the Lord, but it was hard to find a place to really fit. It's a big thing, and Paul was acknowledging, how interesting, he's, he's, he's acknowledging this, he's touching on this. Speak blessing, not cursing, over those who reject and persecute you. Are we practicing that yet? It's a challenge. If you go home this afternoon, find out someone criticized something you did, or they, you know, to your face, or worse yet, you know, that you find out about it, how do you respond? How, what's your reaction? They criticize something you're doing. You're kind of laying your life out on the line. Some of the, you know, this is what's difficult for leaders or, or anyone that's putting it out there and willing to do things, and then the criticism comes. It's like, usually by people that aren't paying any price to do that, you know. The uh, criticism is cheap. The stepping out in things and trying to be something or follow something, that, that costs you. And so we're sensitive about it. We're like, isn't it, isn't it the times that you're trying the hardest to do something good, and then that gets, you know, squeaked out a little bit? There's a criticism about that, and you're just about ready to come unglued because you're like, I'm trying hard here to do this, that, or the other thing, and it stings. It stings, and Paul's like giving this counter. It's, it's the counterculture to the world's culture. When you get criticized and when you find that, give a blessing and not a cursing over those that reject you. They may have been giving you a full-blown hard time. Sometimes there's just people that just, it, they, it becomes their mission to find out what's wrong with you and why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. It, it, it's not, it's not changed from when this was written to now. It's still, it still shows up 
and it's challenging. And if we're not in the right mindset, we'll act like the world does when they get criticized. Well, how do they act? How do they, how do they respond? You don't want to be doing that. In verse 14, 15, celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who grieve. It's, it's really not rocket science, is it? When someone's happy about something, rejoice about them. Even if you're, you'd like to have that new thing too or that situation too, step outside of yourself and rejoice with someone anyways. And, and I watch people in our church all the, all the time do it. To rejoice, uh, we watched Sarah Johnson. She did really good. Wanting to be pregnant, wanting that baby, and watching everybody around her get pregnant. I mean, every time I heard the news, I'm like, yay! And I think of Sarah, like, ah. And, and there was nothing, no way to fix it. But she just kept pressed. She actually pressed in to the Lord through those times. We, we know that, don't we, Phyllis? Like, we know that's what she was doing. We, she would talk to us about it. And she'd just press into the Lord. Those that wait on the Lord renew their strength. And what happens when the waiting is difficult, when the waiting for the promise is prolonged, maybe even hopeless? And yet she's great, great. Every time she brings her baby up, I'm like, oh, my gosh. We had our little gathering on New Year's Eve, I believe, of 25, 30 people. I forget how many came. And um, she was here with her baby. And every time I see them together, I'm like, wow. I just remember this, this duration of time when she had to wait, and wait patiently. What a testimony. That's this. Celebrate with those that celebrate. And she always was faithful to that. Weep with those who, who weep and grieve. Sometimes people have lost. Just, just go. You don't have to have profound words. Matter of fact, sometimes the fewer words, the better. All that really matters is, I care. You're hurting, and I care. I don't have words. I, I try not to say stupid things in those times. You know, like you walk up, how you doing? You know, and then you want to slap yourself. Find something else to say, Rick, you know. And what do people need in that time? Just need to know you care. Just fill in the space near them, and they won't feel alone in, what they're, in their loss. That matters. Take the time to do it, because when you do it, you're doing, this is pleases Jesus. This is that thing. That's holiness. That's, that's doing what pleases him. He finds pleasure in that. And you'll find a joy in knowing, I truly did this for the right reason. The right time at the right reason. Yay, like that's great. And you can just be comforted in that. Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are of your own. That's simple, yeah? So what do we do? We make sure that we find value and we speak honoring things to one, about one another. Challenging sometimes, indeed. But what a difference. How many of you have felt the grieving of the Spirit when you run your mouth and criticize someone that's close, a family member or somebody in the church, you know, the neighbor or the whatever, 
and you're like, there, I got that out, and I feel like I just ate something I shouldn't have eaten, you know, like you just feel, you know you violated something. How cool when you go and you speak something, something good instead because your criticism doesn't help anything. It just creates division. It, it, worse yet, how about this? Take responsibility for your declarations and you just called something that the Holy Spirit's working on redeeming and you just made a negative declaration about it which pushes it the other direction. So true with your children. If you've raised children, you've known. It's really easy as they get to a certain point to know everything wrong about them and you're embarrassed and you're struggling and they're driving you crazy and you know. How important is a parent to deep, reach deep in Though their behavior at any given time can really, you can really struggle with and have a good declaration about them. Understanding that your declaration is, has more power will form and help them form and come out of what they're struggling with. Speak, speak that thing. Speak that thing. Find out what the Lord's saying. This is the value of being a prophetic community. What is that? We listen. We, we turn an ear to the Lord and we hear what he's saying, and then we, we speak that out loud because what we re release with our mouth and our tongues is so powerful. When the Lord's working hard to help us and redeem us, we don't want to be working for the other guy. You know, have you ever gone to a, a game? Or we have games, football games, basketball games, whatever. You know, and, and you, you, if someone's sitting beside you cheering for the other team, you're like, hey, hey, hey. You're, you're in the wrong bleacher, bud. You know, like, no. We rejoice, you know. We're, we want our team to win. We want this person to win. We're on the winning side. You want to vote, you know, cheer for the other people? Go over there. Change the colors of your shirt. You know, do something. And, and it's the same way in the kingdom. We want to be cheering for our brothers and sisters. And just hang around any church or any Christian organization long enough, you'll find out what's wrong about it, and pretty soon you're an expert at what they're doing wrong. And that gets no awards. Definitely doesn't get rewards, and it might even get some dewards. There is such a thing. There, I just made up a word. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others but be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Don't be smug or even think for a moment that you know it all, which is true. This is how you walk out humility. You make this choice like, I don't have to be on top of it with everybody. I can walk in in a lower way and go, yeah, I'm prone to make mistakes. I'm doing my best. I, you know... And, and when you do, instead of being full of shame over it, you go, huh, I'm working on that. Not there yet. Verse 17, never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. So, like, wow. Don't hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. This get even thing is like death among Christians. Don't, don't do that. 
This is why it's so powerful. When you, when you pray for someone that has offended you or you're struggling with, do you understand you're, you're not only releasing heaven to help them and work on them, but you're also, you're also doing the most powerful thing to deliver yourself and to get free yourself. It's so much for you to, to act this way and do this. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. Now, there's a bad way to do that, pleasing everyone. But there's a good way when you're not looking for something, to, a reason to be at war with everybody. Do you know how easy that gets? I mean, of course you do. It's easy to identify what's wrong with everybody. Pretty soon you're doing it with everybody around you. Whereas if you look for what's right and look for a common ground, we're, we're challenged right now with, with those very kind of issues. Use wisdom. I don't have great answers for you. But use, use wisdom to know how to build a bridge and not more division. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous judgment. For the scriptures say, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And isn't it so, so true? And again, this is just a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 30, uh, 35, I believe it is. Yeah, 32:35, Where the Lord makes this declaration Vengeance is mine. Vengeance. Tell yourself that on any occasion that you need to. Vengeance is not mine. Vengeance is the Lord. It belongs to him. You're like, well, if I don't do something to them or against them, they'll get away with it. No, the Lord pretty much promises if they've truly done something bad to you, I will make sure that I repay, but you need to get out of the way. And when you're unforgiving or you're doing this yourself, you're like doing something, you're not. It's illegal for you to take vengeance. It's illegal. It's wrong. And it will kill you. You think what they did was bad to you? Wait till you live, live in the, the fruit of taking vengeance. And the Lord, we live, we live with this. He's, he's, I, saw, I saw that. Lord, did you see that? I saw it. But I'm watching you first. What are you doing? What are you going to do with this? Like, oh, that hurt me. Well, let me heal that. Let me touch that. I practice this. When something happens, I, I've learned, like, I don't swear when I hurt my finger. I, I, the Lord gave us in the English language an amazing word. It's ouch. What does that word mean? That means I'm experiencing pain and maybe a lot of it. I just say it louder if it really hurts bad. Yeah, or nothing. And the same when you get your heart gets hurt and it does get hurt. You get wounded. Things wound you. Often when we're angry, what happened right before the anger came? You were hurt. I can almost guarantee it. You felt stupid, you were hurt, or something in that category. Anger's almost always, I've learned this, it's almost always the second emotion. There's always something ahead of it. And if you, you want to be free from anger, get to that first thing. And we all can be hurt. It's okay. If you don't hurt, it means you're numb, and that's not okay. 
If things hurt your feelings, it means your heart's alive. That's what it means. And it, it has to do with what do you do with it. That's, makes, that's what makes the difference. My healing comes really quickly over little things and big things if I get to Jesus right away. And I learn to go, oh, that got me. Man, do you know how almost immediate you're, you'll feel his presence and it'll be okay? I'm not, this is no joke. When you just, like, don't tell your wife, don't tell your friends, don't build a case, don't get on stuff. <laughs> just go, ah, oh, man, ouch. That, Lord, that got to me. He's like, yeah, let's talk about that. He, he doesn't go, oh, grow up, you know, like our parents used to. Oh, grow up, you sissy, you know. like <coughs> Your father in heaven knows, he's sensitive to this. He's aware of what hurts. He is aware of what disappointed. <coughs> it has to do with how, how we manage it. And so, who does vengeance belong to? It belongs to him. You, on your part, you get righteous. You get in the clear. Get in the safety zone of forgiveness and blessing and the Lord's protection. So that when the bomb goes off, doesn't, it doesn't get you. Because he, he will repay. He does make all this right. We have this joke between Phyllis and I. It's so funny. I'll, of course, I've, I've toned down quite a bit, but I'll pick and be sarcastic and say smart remarks. She accused me of that once. I'm like, oh, no, I don't, I don't do that. You start this. I'm like, no, I don't. She goes, okay, I'll show you. Every time you make a smart remark, I'm going, I'm going to pinch you. She can pinch with her toes or whatever, like she's, she can be, you know. And, and it was kind of like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, you know, I don't start this. You start this. Well, I, I, I was getting pinched a lot. That's all. I'll just say. It was a funny, fun exercise in our relationship. Boy, it, it showed me. I'm like, oh, my. My mouth's out of control. I, I say a lot of little quippy, quicky things, you know, that I think, that's, you know, what's wrong with that? And it's like, it hurts. It, it would cause her, like, you know, it wasn't a blessing. She didn't walk around and say, I love how my, my husband does this. And, that. you know, she wasn't doing that. And, and I learned, just get this, stop, stop. You think, of, think it, don't say it. <laughs> just don't. And I felt a lot less bruised and pinched in the process. So it was good. It was very, very rewarding. Yeah, you're all, they're laughing, Phyllis, because they know you can pinch. <laughs> oh, Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. Win him over with kindness, for your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience, and God will reward you with favor. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. I was interested to find this in Proverbs chapter 25. There are several things that Jesus said, like on the Sermon on the Mount, and things that are in the New Testament. And man, there's a lot of stuff. And where did it come from? It came from the Old Testament. It came from Proverbs. It came from Proverbs. It came from, from uh, Proverbs and Psalms and in and, and different places. Like, we think grace is a new thing in the New Testament. No, actually, it was an old thing. Where's Zerubbabel? You know, you'll build this with 
shouts of grace, grace, grace to it. Yeah? Like grace was, it was there too. Loving people. Like, oh, now, now we love in the New Testament. No, that was, that was a big deal in the Old Testament too. And you can be surprised to find this. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, you're, you know, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, that's OT. So these things have always been there. So I, there was a reference to Proverbs 25, and I was looking at it, and, and uh, just several things jumped out at me. Number one, in, in the, by the second verse of chapter 25 of Proverbs, God conceals a revelation of his word. Now, you'll, your, word, your version will probably, if you have, don't have passion, it'll say, it'll say matter. He knows the matter. It's the glory of God to, uh, you know, and, uh, to, uh, to, to, to conceal a matter. God conceals the revelation of his word in the hiding place of his glory. So that's where he hides it. I love how this is worded. Then I checked, like, Brian, why did you, Brian Simmons, why did you write this, translate this out this way? So it's the glory of God to hide, conceal a word, and, and, word, and he hides it in his glory. Like, he hides it in his glory. So if that's where he hides it, it's like an Easter egg hunt. If, if he hides it in his present, in his glory, in his, then where do you go seeking it? In his glory. I know, it's amazing, like I simple, but it was really good. The Hebrew word is literally an honest answer. Um, that, no, that's another, that's another reference. This one is, uh, it's right here. Many translate this a matter, the translators, whereas the Hebrew is dubar, the Hebrew word dubar, <clears throat> which is translated more than 800 times in the Old Testament as word. Just not here. So we're used to this, you know, he conceals a matter. It's actually he conceals a word. And where does he hide it? He hides it in his glory. Then it's, and it goes on, it says, but the honor of kings is revealed by how they thoroughly search out the deeper meaning of all that God says. So we see in First in Peter, we're kings and priests. Like we're called that once we come into who Jesus, you know, calls us to be, that's our position. And so our position is royal according to Scripture. We're not peons that are saved by the skin of our teeth. Actually, not. Actually, we're kings and priests. We, where, do we get to, we, where do we get invited to? Hebrews talks about coming to the throne of grace. With what? With boldness, not with sheepishness. Become in boldness because it's you're covered by the blood. You have this, you're given a right and access. John chapter 1, verse 12. He gives us the power, the ability to become the sons of God by believing. So that that is given to us, and it's just a matter of pick it, go, I I believe. And it empowers you to become the sons of God. How interesting. So, this whole proverb is very interesting. It goes on in verse six, six, down to six. Don't boast in the presence of a king or promote yourself by taking a seat at the head table. Well, again, we're remembering Jesus gives this admonition, admonition um, to don't, don't take the place of honor, but take, take the lower place. Then if the king of the banquet wants to 
honor you or promote you, he will. So again, it's this thing of, of take the low road. Don't grasp for position. Don't grasp for recognition. Stay quiet. Be silent about the good things you do. Just, just do it. And if the Lord wants to exalt you, he will. And when he exalts you, it'll be sweet and precious. And you'll know I'm not, I'm not promoting myself. The Lord who cares about me loves me. He's promoting me. In verse 21 of the same chapter, look what shows up. Is your enemy hungry? Buy him lunch. Win him over with your kindness. Your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience, and God will reward you with favor. So I'm like, wow, here it's showing up in Romans 12. It shows up in the Sermon on the Mount. And so when Jesus was quoting these things and saying these things and giving the... Again, they were coming right, they were coming out of the word, the word that was concealed. And so when he came and he gave these messages, these simple things, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that suffer, blessed are. It's like there's a promise attached to each one of the difficult, of, to each of these very difficult, uh, you know, states of being in. And he's like, it's okay, you're blessed because something's coming that's going to surpass that glory. And hidden in my glory is the revelation for what you need, is the word for your life hidden in my glory. Is it unattainable? No, you just have to know where to come to look for it. And so you seek him out, you search him, and we... We walk out these things with conviction, watch over our hearts. I'm working on this all the time in my life. I'm pulled here by my feelings or pulled here by my feelings. And, and this keeps pulling me back to here, walk in this way. If you're like me, you're always asking, where do I stand in something? What do I say? What's too much? What's too little? And uh, the situation that a whole world's in right now just about has me crazy with I have to keep calm, dial down, dial down. What's God's heart in this? How does he want me to walk? How does he want me to manage this? And I, I find that these, these words from Romans 12, the words from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words, all of these things, these instructions, these proverbs, they, they bring me back to this narrow path, this place. Here, walk, walk in this. Remember the scripture about, you know, if, uh, and, and it was a, a, a custom or what a law, whatever, the Romans would make you, if they made you, they could make you walk for a mile. And Jesus likes, he's like, I'm aware of this unjust injustice that gets imposed on you. You're walking, you're, it's already, you're already tired, you're long, you have your own burden, and a Roman soldier comes along, like, hey, comes along and says, hey, carry this for me for a mile. And you're obligated to do that. Jesus said, I have a little secret if you want to get free. And it wasn't about shooting the Roman soldier, you know, though you want to, or knife him or whatever, you know. What did he say? He said, go the second mile. What was the second mile about? It was about freedom. You lose your freedom in the first mile, but if you go the second, you get your freedom back. And now he's indebted to you because you went beyond what he asked. 
Interesting concept, isn't it? I mean, I never did really understand that. A while back, I'm like, oh, I get it. That keeps me powerful. That keeps me in charge and control in a good way. And I'm, it's an act of kindness. And I go the second mile and I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> Isn't that a great thing to say to an enemy, an oppressor? You're welcome. I went beyond what you had a right to mandate me. I went beyond that. And I, tur- I, I blessed you instead. That, the scripture promises... It, it causes him to be convicted. It causes them to be convicted of their, of, of their things when we, when we do that. And the Lord's watching. You have to trust with all of your heart that the Lord will have vengeance, that the Lord will take care of this, that he's, he's got this under control. And what is the sweetest vengeance for some of these horrendous people? The sweetest vengeance is that they come to know Jesus. That is the greatest vengeance. Jesus can save anybody. We're like, oh no, not that person. They're, 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 they're too far gone. Jesus says, you want to make a bet? Watch this. And, and a lot of the, the greatest, what was great about Paul before he got, you know, struck by the light? He was walking into churches and persecuting Christians in the name of Jesus, in the name of God. He didn't believe in Jesus, but... So they can be a really bad guy. What's worse than that? Somebody that shows up at churches and finds what's wrong and throws half of us in jail? Um, that would not be on our popular list, would it? We'd be talking about that. Oh, gosh, they got to another church. They got to whatever. We have a lot of things to deal with in this time. And, uh, yeah, I'm always tempted to say things that I just need to leave alone. A lot going on. But I have hope. There's a lot of talk about this being end times and Jesus is coming and he is. There is a rapture, all those things. I just still don't believe this is the time. It'll look like this. I believe Satan's pushing the timeline. It will look like, look around, look at the characteristics. It'll look like this, but I don't think it's the time. It's not over yet. It is not over. If I say, hey, we're out of here just a little bit longer, that sentences a lot of people to an eternity without knowing Jesus. And there's revival going on. We're hearing rumors of things starting right now. And uh, I told you uh, last week, Robin Bullock's like, there's a revolution. There's a Jesus revolution that's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming, and it's going to be the biggest thing that we've ever experienced in revivals. And there's been some pretty phenomenal revivals. There's been some amazing moves of God. And he's like, Get pre- I don't know how you prepare for this, but he's like, this is coming. And I hear it here, 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 here. And what can we do about it? Stay faithful. That's my good word for you. Stay faithful. Keep believing. Keep believing there's, there's a destiny and purpose for America to hit yet. We're not, it's not over yet. It is not over yet. And actually, the whole world is in this fight right now. It's the same, fighting the same enemies, same principalities. And then this book that Phyllis is recommending, actually came, Mary read it first and recommended it. And 
uh, Jonathan Kahn, and this, it's, it's, wow, it really makes, it makes major sense. When we, when we push God out of our nation, back out of our nation by throwing prayer out of schools and uh, the abortion issue coming and all that, there, we, we open the door for things to come in, in that rejection. Read, read the history. Read Israel's history. They had it made in the shade. God himself was going to protect them and watch over them and did. They would never had a, an enemy to fear if they'd have stayed true. It was always when they follow what fell away. That's when they got in trouble. Every time they did, and they only would last. There'd be a revival that would come. Something would happen. There was one after Gideon. You know, there was a revival after that. It only went for so long, and bam, they were back. They forgot. They forgot why they repented. They forgot what they did. They got pulled back in to compromise and to sinning and, and, and sinning against the Lord and back into bondage. And, but every time they would repent and cry out to the Lord, he would hear their cry and he would deliver them. He'd send a deliverer. So whatever America was, we, we sold ourselves out back and we opened the door for these things to come back in. And they came in with a vengeance. And when you see this identified the way John, I won't get into it, but the way he identifies that the, um, Phyllis, Phyllis recommended the YouTube um, session with Eric Metaxas, who I really love Eric Metaxas. He interviews Jonathan Kahn. It's You Won't Be Bored. It's a great YouTube video. Um, and, then, and then also this thing where um, we come back across, this comes back up with... Um, Oh, his name slipped my mind, the numbers guy, Troy Brewer. And uh, there's three, there's a set of three, first, especially session one and session two that he does down in his, uh, his church in uh, Burleson, Texas. I think it's just below Dallas and Fort Worth, just south of them is where his church is. And um, he has this amazing teaching on, on the number 23 for this year, 2023. And uh, very redemptive, very, very good. Like there's the reality of some judgment. There's some things there. Uh, but there's also the reality of blessing. And uh, it also means uh, presence of the Lord, finding the Lord's presence. And uh, I know that's what I want to always be going after, opening up a place to walk in holiness and walk with him. So let's pray. Father, just ask your uh, blessing on today. Thank you for this meeting, this gathering. We ask for your visitation, the visitation of your spirit. Thank you for meeting us in worship today. As we call out, you are the, truly the God of revival. And our hope is set in you, the revival that you bring. I know that you will not disappoint. All these promises, so many promises, yet unfulfilled. That is why I know this is not the end. We, it may look like this. This is not the end. There are too many unfulfilled things that you said you were going to do. So I just thank you for that. Let your promises come forth. And most of all, we pray that we'll be in a posture and a position where we partake in what you're doing. We usher in all the things you're going to do in these days. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
we serve a God of revival, don't we? Just feel there's some um, somebody here that feels weak or defeated and um, it is in need of revival. And I just proclaim that it'll uh, come in communion today. Revival will come to you in communion. I believe it's your purpose to receive that today. Last week, <clears throat> I had a teams meeting and there was some um, several sales managers from different parts of the country and there was probably close to 80 people including the the big boss and there was two of these sales managers that proclaimed their faith in God which I'd never heard in uh, in one of these meetings in, in over 18 years with my company two of them said that they were men of God They had been uh, talking about the purpose-driven life and the purpose-driven church, and they were instructing the sales team to have purpose-driven sales calls. And they said, if you wanted to affect the outcome of something, you need to understand your purpose before you go in. And that's the purpose-driven sales call. And immediately I thought of our church and our church family. And if you've ever ask yourself the question, what's your purpose in coming to church? Is it fellowship and friendship, relationships? Is it to hear from God or to worship Jesus or to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit? There's only so many hours in the week and you should know why you're spending some of them here. What's your purpose? What's your desired outcome for being here? In this moment in particular in communion, There's purpose in that. You're either getting in line and following someone up to get a piece of bread and a little thimble full of juice, or you have purpose-driven communion. My company pays me to have quality time with my customers. Jesus paid for this time with you this morning. And it's valuable. John Piper said the purpose of communion is to receive from Christ strength and nourishment and hope and joy. And that's what I'm hanging on to, especially the hope and joy, because in Matthew 26, 28, it says we do this for the forgiveness of our sins. And I don't deserve it, but I'm getting it. And that's my purpose. And if you don't know yours, take your time this morning. Meditate on your purpose before you come up. But come up with a purpose, and let's, let's commune together.